Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We're talking about what it looks like for us to actually live out our lives in a loving way towards one another. And I've made these disclaimers. I'll make them again really quickly. Uh, One is this is not a series about romantic love exclusively. Okay, it looks Valentine's-y, right? The music was kind of like... Oh yeah, baby. Like that's, but that's not what we're going for today. Okay, like it's about all kinds of relationships. This can be applied in your work relationships, in your family, with your friends, your neighbors, or in a romantic context as well. But we're trying to look at practical skills together that can help us grow in loving one another better. And uh, especially because of that, in light of that, the second disclaimer is that I'm not portraying myself here as the expert in the way of love. Uh, I could tell story after story of how I am not the expert in the way of love, Uh, but instead what we've been doing is really keying in uh, to a few key scriptures uh, that shape uh, what we're talking about when we talk about being loving and walking in the way of love. The phrase itself comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul, who was a first century church planter, wrote, and he said this, he instructed these early Jesus followers to follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and to walk in the way of love. Those are the same thing. He's saying walking in the way of love means following God's example, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So rather than taking your cue from me in the way of love, together we're trying to take our cue from Jesus. And uh, that's a big deal because when Jesus walked this earth, he actually made a really big statement. And you've heard it if you've been here for every week of the series, but you're going to hear it again just kind of as a recap. Uh, One time this religious lawyer asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment? Like what is at the heart of this whole following God thing. And Jesus's answer was that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. That's the first and the greatest. And a second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Or in other words, Jesus boils down the whole following God and having a relationship with God thing to these two simple principles that we're called to love God and to love people that our love for God should be expressed in the way that we love the people around us and the way that we relate to one another. So what we're doing through this series is I'm trying to give you just some practical tools that you can apply in any relational context to help you do that a little better, to help you express that love that you have for God in the relationships that you have with other people. And so we've tried to keep it practical, uh, and I'm going to give you like just a rapid-fire list of the habits that we've covered so far, just to kind of refresh your memory or catch you up if you missed a week. Uh, but the reason that we're doing this is, like, maybe you're like, why are we talking about all these practical things in church? Like, aren't we supposed to be spiritual and, like, just focused on God? Uh, but we shared this last week that often the greatest barrier to our spiritual maturity, to our growing in our relationship with God, is our emotional immaturity. It's the stuff that gets in between us in our relationships with one another. And so we're looking at the practical stuff to try and grow in that horizontal relationship with one another because often those horizontal relationships can become the thing that gets in the way of our vertical relationship with God growing along the way. So a quick recap on week one, we talked about the skill of clarifying expectations. There were two things we needed to stop doing and two things we needed to start doing. So we said uh, when it comes to our expectations, we needed to stop mind reading and we needed to stop making judgments, right? That thing where we assume that we know what other people are thinking or why they do the things they do. We need to stop that. And instead, we need to start having conversations and start actually clarifying our expectations. We need to have the courage to go there and say, hey, 
uh, you did this and it didn't meet my expectation and I want to talk about it and then to work through it together. Uh, so that was week one. Week two, we talked about the skill of becoming self-aware. That was the iceberg week, right? We talked about the Titanic a little bit, but uh, the reality is all of us have more going on under the surface than we like to present uh, on social media or in a setting like this or really anytime we're out and about. There's more going on than you can see. And so being self-aware is about knowing what's going on under the surface. We defined it as knowing your emotions and your motivations. And at the end of that week, I gave you a two-question simple exercise that you could do. Hopefully, you've been doing it. If you like started then, you're two weeks in now. But it was asking this question, how am I feeling right now? And why do I feel this way? And that seems so elementary and so simple, but actually making it a habit to practice that self-examination, those two simple questions, over time can reveal patterns or tendencies that you may have, the reasons that you feel the way that you do, those motivations that can shape our emotions along the way. And being aware of that can help us then as we relate to one another. Last week, we talked about uh, the idea of listening to one another. And specifically, we talked about what I defined as incarnational listening, that uh, often we don't take the time to listen to one another, we're just waiting to talk. But to, as a Jesus follower, we're not only called to listen to each other just because it's baseline polite, uh, but we define incarnational listening as listening in the way that Jesus did. Because the incarnation is this big theological concept that basically says Jesus, who was God, chose to become a man. He drew near to us so he could relate to us. And in the same way in our relationships, when we try to listen to one another, we should practice that same thing. We should leave our world of our thoughts and our opinions and everything we think that we know and be willing to enter the world of somebody else, to hear their perspective and to have empathy and to grow in our compassion for one another. So that's where we've been so far. And for where uh, I'm wanting to go today, I want to actually just kind of take a quick survey of the room as it relates to social media. So I'm curious uh, just which platform uh, you use most often. I'm just like starting with the assumption that you're on some type of platform, although we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, so like just out of curiosity, where's the Facebook people that like compulsively, okay, lots of Facebook happening in the room. That makes sense. They're like one of the biggest ones. Uh, okay, uh, Twitter, anybody? Okay, I think I might raise my hand for Twitter. I just like, I don't know, I'm nerdy, I guess. and. And I like drama, and it's like a perfect spot for just random information and drama. So anyway, uh, Twitter, that's cool. Um, Instagram, okay. Some Instagram people, you're like the visual people. You like the photos. Yeah, there's some of you are like all of it, just like all of it all the time. Uh, TikTok, okay, okay. Oh, the teachers in the room are like, no, none of it. Okay, okay. So here's my final question. Is there anybody in the room who not only doesn't engage in social media, but has never had an account on a social media site. Anybody? You did it. Way to go. That's amazing. I was just curious. I didn't know. I mean, I, it's not bad. Okay, it's, I'm with you. I have an account on all of them, but that's amazing. So uh, here's the point. Lots of us, like Jeff is the outlier in the room <laughs> and in the world, but way to go. It's not a bad thing. Uh, lots of us are on social media. There's actually 330 million people on Twitter, so it's not just me. Uh, 800 million on TikTok, uh, a billion of us on Instagram. Like, that's a big number. Right? It makes me think of the McDonald's hamburger thing, but it's TikTok or Instagram, whatever. Uh, and get this, there are almost 2.5 billion people on Facebook. 
that is a disproportionate amount of the world that is all logging in and doing their thing or scamming one another or whatever we do on there. And uh, the thing about social media is it's a great tool, right? There, there's some really cool things that can happen as a result of social media. I've connected with friends like from elementary school that moved away that I kind of forgot all about. And then it's like, oh my gosh, we connected on Facebook and we get to know each other and all that kind of stuff. Like it can be a cool thing, but like all tools, like all things in the world, it can be used for good and it can be used for not so good, right? It can be used for good or it can have a negative impact on our lives. And I think one of the subtle dangers about social media is that we are all tempted to use it to present a version of ourselves that might not reflect the real version of ourselves, right? We're all tempted to present maybe a less than accurate picture of ourselves to the world. And uh, to give you some examples of what I mean, uh, check out this photo. So this girl, I don't know her at all, but she posted this uh, wonderful photo of her like at the beach. It looks very peaceful and calming, like the wind is blowing her jacket at Semway Island, wherever that is, like that's where we wanna be right now, right? But if you actually zoomed out and saw the rest of that photo, the truth is there's kids running around like crazy right out of the frame. There's this chubby guy like just doing whatever over here. I don't know. There's like trash next to her. It's not what it looked like, right? You're picturing this like Zen moment out on the beach by yourself, but there's like more happening than what you can see. Or how about this one? Maybe you did this in 2020 or if you're still doing virtual meetings at work, maybe you still do this. Like there's your like little work from home setup, right? And it looks beautiful. You got your laptop. I don't know why there's pine cones, but why not? It's festive. Little globe, I guess. That's wonderful. And, and look, she even tagged it like my workspace. But if you zoom out on that workspace, it probably looks like 2020 actually looked like, right? Where there's like laundry everywhere and random cats that you didn't even know you had that show up. Like that's the reality of what things look like. Or we've all probably been guilty of something like this next one, right? Where you post something and it's like, man, look at how athletic and how strong and how amazing I am. Look at how good I look. Look at what I can do. But if you zoomed out, She's not doing it alone, <laughs> right? She had some help along the way. And I know those are kind of funny, uh, kind of lighthearted, but the truth is like all of us can be guilty of doing this, whether on social media or just in our day-to-day -day interactions with one another. We can be guilty of presenting a false self to the world around us, right? We want to be a little better than we actually are. We want to polish things up a little bit. I was talking about Zoom. Have you ever noticed Zoom, if you go into the settings, has a filter that says like, touch up my appearance, and it's just like, whoosh, you're like instantly polished and kind of terrifying, so don't use that. I mean, you can if you want, but we all want to do that. We want to look a little better than maybe we actually are, or maybe when it comes to your accomplishments, right? You want to appear a little more successful than you actually are. You want to uh, feel like you know what you're doing a little more than you actually know what you're doing, or at the very least, I think all of us are tempted in our relationships with one another, whether it's on social media or in person, we're tempted to at least hide the parts of ourselves that we're not proud of, right? We feel shame about some areas of our life. Maybe we feel embarrassed. Maybe somebody made fun of you for the way that you are when you're growing up. And ever since that moment, you felt like there's a side of you that you have to like keep locked up. You have to kind of minimize or, or push down. We're all guilty of presenting a false self to the world. But what we're gonna talk about today, the practical skill that can actually shape and influence your relationships is the idea of actually living out your true self. The idea of actually living out who God made you to be, of actually uh, not presenting a false image of yourself, not polishing things up, not making it look better than it is, but actually being the you that God made you to be. And the reason that's a big deal is because uh, like, there's something important that you should know about your Instagram self. It's that uh, the difference between your Instagram self and your real self is it takes a lot of courage to present your real self to the world. 
right? It's easy to manufacture you and to present manufactured you to the people around you and to receive the likes and the feedback. And that's why we do it. It's like this addictive cycle where like, oh, they thought I looked good and I got the little brain endorphin thing. Like it felt really good when the little heart popped up. It's like, I'm going to do it again and again and again and again and again. But to like really be you and to really show up, you have to be brave enough to recognize and to admit that sometimes like you con contribute to the disappointment and the, the struggles in your relationships along the way if you bring your real you to the table. Like, you have to bring you to the table to bring you to the table, which obviously makes sense. But here's what's happening in, in many of our friendships and in our families and in our marriages and in any context. It's instead of living true to ourselves in our relationships, often what we try to do is we try to frame up who we are to what we think the other person wants us to be. Right? We frame up how we look to, to what we think the other person wants us to look like. This is like dating in a nutshell, right? It's like, just present your best self and frame it and work it out. And then you like get married and then you're like, oh no, there's the real you. <laughs> That's not what I thought it was. But uh, like for many of us, we rather than sharing our real selves and our real vulnerabilities and our real honesty, we just project onto others what we think they want us to be, right? We share a version of ourselves and it's not necessarily a lie. It's just not fully true. And in fact, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but um, I actually read a book uh, about a year ago on this same topic that I thought was fantastic. In fact, I almost, and I promise I won't do this to you, but I almost thought like, man, this week could be a whole series uh, because of how much I think goes into this idea of, of figuring out who you are and living that out more and more. Uh, but I read this book about a year ago called The Gift of Being Yourself. And uh, the author, David G. Benner, observed this about humans specifically. He said, in all of creation, identity is only a challenge for humans. Maybe you've never thought about that, but he goes on. He says, a tulip knows exactly what it is. It is never tempted by false ways of being, nor does it face complicated decisions in the process of becoming. And so it is with dogs and rocks and trees and stars and amoebas and electrons and all other things. All of them give glory to God by being exactly what they are. For in being what God means them to be, they're obeying him. Humans, however, encounter a more challenging existence because we think and we consider options and we decide and we act and we doubt. And simple being is tremendously difficult to achieve and fully authentic being is extremely rare. And I just thought, man, that's so true, isn't it? Like, your dog has never struggled to be your dog. <laughs> your dog just, like, is your dog, like it or not. Here I am, right? <laughs> tail wagon and everything. But, but like for all of us, we struggle sometimes. And I think some of that is because we have the ability to change. We have the ability to choose. We have the, uh, the task really of figuring out what have we been given and then how do we grow and develop it and become the person God wants us to be over time. And as it relates to you and as it relates to your relationships along the way, here's the point today. Here's why I want to talk about living your true self. It's because your relationships will be at their best when both people or when everybody involved are free to actually live their true self, when there's an environment of safety and belonging and acceptance where both parties or all of the parties, if it's like at your whole company or something like that, where everybody feels safe to be who they are and they're willing to bring that vulnerable contribution to one another. And sometimes the pressure to be something other than yourself is very real and other times it's just something that we perceive or something that we imagine. But either way, we always have a choice in every relationship. You have the choice of will you be your authentic, genuine, true self with the people that we say matter the most, or will we be like the Instagram version of us 
to the people around us, the, the controlled, protected, safe version of us that doesn't actually let people in along the way. So today we're going to talk about like what does it mean to actually discover and live out your true self. But like quick disclaimer, uh, again, as I'm talking about this idea of living your true self, that sounds kind of like a culturally popular idea right now, like especially for generations of like mine and younger. It's like figure out who you are and, and chase your passion and go live your dream. And that's all good, fun stuff. But like uh, when I'm saying live your true self, I'm not saying like live your best life. I have a friend who would always, they would be like her joke. She would say like, I'm living my best life, eating Taco Bell, or I don't know, like living my best life, just enjoying things along the way. And so I'm not saying that. Like sometimes we grab onto this as relational advice. We think like, just follow your heart, right? J just follow your heart. What does your heart tell you? I think Disney conditioned us to do this. And uh, here's the thing, like the advice to follow your heart makes great movies, it makes for a terrible life as it relates to your relationships, at least if you only follow your heart, because your heart can be terribly, terribly deceptive to you. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, who was a prophet to ancient Israel, actually was reflecting on the nature of our hearts, the, the nature of this relational, deep part of all of us. And he says this, he said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And isn't that true? Like, hasn't your heart before told you to go cuss that person out? <laughs> and you're like, eh, maybe not the right thing, but I felt it, right? I, I wanted to in that moment. Uh, hasn't your heart told you before, like, just leave your coworker to clean it up? They don't work that hard anyway. It's their turn. Like, it's time for them to do something about it. Your heart has told you, like, er eat dessert first. You earned it. Like, you deserve it. It's just one taste, right? Your heart has told you just one more. Right? Just, just another drink. You may also need, or right, like your shopping cart, you may also like. Your heart has put the thing in the cart on Amazon before. <laughs> like your heart has convinced you you'd be so much happier somewhere else with someone else. Like your heart can deceive you. And, and do you know how much trouble we would all be in if we all just did what our hearts told us to do? It would be chaos. And, and like Jeremiah is saying, do not trust your heart because your heart can lie to you. And sometimes it lies to you in ways that are so clever, you don't even recognize that you're being lied to. Like the person who can lie to you the best is you. You can convince yourself of anything along the way. So when I'm talking about like living your true self today, I'm not just saying like just follow your heart, just follow your dreams, just live your best life. But what living your true self does mean is knowing and doing and speaking like the person that God created you to be. Or to give you like the punchline a little early today, uh, here's the point it's that your true self is actually who you are in Jesus. That you can't find your true self fully apart from him, and you can't understand him fully without understanding you a little bit. These two things are directly connected. And when you give your heart and your soul and your mind, that way that Jesus was talking about, when you give that to him and you let him shape them, then you can discover your true self. And so let me like spell it out for you. I've got a little diagram, so track with me. It's going to be more exciting than it sounds. Uh, when I'm talking about your true self, like let this uh, simple triangle represent you. That's your true self. And for our purposes today, like let's say there's a lot going on in you, but we'll simplify it so that we can make sense of it and so we can learn a few things together. Like I think your true self is in many ways made up of about three different components. Uh, and I know you're like, there's so much more to me than just three things, but I know, but Bear with me. Like thing number one, first there's what you know, right? There's your thoughts, there's your opinions, your feelings and your dreams and your values and all that stuff. That makes up you, the things 
that you know about this world. Uh, but that's not all that there is to you because there's also the things that you say. There's the words that you speak or the thoughts and the opinions that you express along the way. And some of you certainly do express them, don't you? But it's, it's the, the values that you actually articulate and that you share out loud with other people. And, uh, you know, what you know is a part of you. What you say is a part of you. But then there's also how you act, right? There's actually the things that you do in the world, the way that you carry yourself. And uh, more than just your behavioral choices even, when I'm talking about the way that you act, I'm talking about, like, the gifts and the abilities and the talents that you have, the things that you naturally gravitate towards and that you put on display through your actions. And I think this grid can be helpful for us to think about your true self. You're what you know, you're what you say, and, and you're what you do. You're, you're the things that you know, the things that you speak, and the way that you act. And uh, what I'm going to say next is incredibly important, and I don't think it's said often enough in church. Uh, sometimes you can come into environments like a church, and, and you're told, like, you should conform or you should like believe like everybody else, and then God will like you. Or if you behave in the right ways, then God will like you. So like lean in for just a second, because what I want to tell you right now is this, that that true self, that you, that is you, that's the you that God made you to be. And God uniquely wired you to be you with your own personality and your own thoughts and your own dreams, and your own ambitions, and your own temperament, and your own feelings, and, and your own talents, and your own gifts, and your own desires. And he did all of that on purpose. Like, you're not an accident the way that you are. He did it with divine intention. And if you look different than the you next to you, that's not an accident either. That was a deliberate part of the plan, was for there to be a you in the world. And God made you in that way, with that kind of intention. In fact, uh, the psalmists, who were like poets in the ancient world, uh, they wrote down this one time, understanding this idea of how incredible it is that any of us are actually even here. Uh, he said this, he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and that's true of every single person that you ever meet. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I was actually talking uh, to a friend uh, this week just about um, the craziness, this is, these are the kind of casual conversations I have. I was talking about the craziness of like life, <laughs> like just that, that like humanity can happen is basically what we were talking about. And I was talking about specifically uh, like babies when they're born and all of the different things that have to happen and have to line up and have to happen at the right time for uh, a baby to be born in this world, uh, you know, in a functioning way. Like I, I was talking about the eyeball. And like, did you know that like for your eyeball to form and, and actually be able to see, like you can see me right now, when you were in your mother's womb, there were thousands of nerve endings that came from your optical nerve and they wrap around each other. They each have their own specific match. And as your eye is being formed, all of those thousands of nerve endings have to find their perfect match in order for you to be able to see anything at all. And, and that happened for you twice, probably, right? You have two eyes. For you to be able to see me right now, like, that happened. And it's a miracle, right? Like, that is fearfully and wonderfully made. And you can do that through so many different parts of the process. Like, it's so easy to get to this space of awe and wonder. But even beyond the physical reality of you, like, the way that you are, you were created on purpose. You were created with a person. You were knit together with divine intention. And so you shouldn't be afraid or ashamed to be you today. And in fact, there are amazing resources 
uh, we'll talk about a little bit later, that can help you on this journey of figuring out who you really are and why you are the way that you are. Things like the Enneagram that has become really popular in recent years, or maybe in a business setting, you did the Myers-Briggs personality assessment, or maybe you've taken a gifts test at some point along the way to figure out kind of how you're wired. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I have this tendency to want to win at everything. And even when I take these like personality assessments, sometimes I have this drive to like get the right answer. And, and like, what is that? Because whatever the answer is, is the right answer. <laughs> Like, it's just uncovering you, and that's kind of the point that I'm getting at right now, that like you, as you are, is not an accident. It's not a mistake that you're here because of God's divine design, and the challenge for you and the challenge for me is to learn how to be that self more and more, to understand how we are and to learn to be the person that God has made us to be. And so to give you a picture of what it looks like for someone to be uh, their true self, we're going to look for a second at Jesus. Because remember, Paul told us to follow God's example, the example that we see set forth in Jesus. And Jesus is somebody who actually excelled at living out his true self in the world. And you want to know how I know that? Just look at the number of times he disappoints people, <laughs> right? Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record how many times Jesus let down his family, his neighbors, the religious leaders, even them, like his own disciples. He let them down time and time again. And sometimes we think that like if we're really living life as we ought to, everybody around us should be happy with us. But Jesus didn't model that right? Jesus didn't teach us that. Uh, Jesus wasn't motivated by the number of followers that he had. He was motivated by the way that God had made him and the mission that God had given to him. And, and there's this fascinating account where this happens, recorded in Luke's account of Jesus's life. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in his hometown. Uh, he's right at the start of his public ministry, and he stands up in the synagogue, and he starts to teach. And after he teach, uh, taught, Luke records this. He says that he all spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. That's my life verse. That's my goal every single week. No, I'm just kidding. But that's how people felt about Jesus. Jesus stood up, and he taught, and people were amazed. Like, this guy's incredible. This guy knows the truth. Like, he's got this authority. And so Jesus had the favor and the admiration of his hometown crowd, and he could have leveraged that like crazy for all kinds of personal gain, right? He was building his following. He was getting the likes, like retweets, whatever. People liked Jesus. And, and like, Jesus had to know in that moment what the father's plan for his life was so that he didn't get motivated by what the people's plan for his life was, right? Because it would have been really easy for him in that moment to just be like, okay, more of this, right? To be honest, it's easy for me in some moments to be like, oh, they liked that one. We're going to do that series again. Like, it's so easy for all of us to get sucked into this. And yet, just seven verses later, we read that that's not what Jesus did because seven verses later, here's how the people felt about Jesus. It says they got up, they drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. That escalated quickly, right? <laughs> like, like, they loved what he was saying, and then the next moment, they're like, we not only have to get this guy out of our town, we need to, like, get him off the planet, like, get rid of him off the cliff. And, and like, I'm going to pause for a second with Jesus hanging on the cliff uh, because I want you to see something. Jesus clearly wasn't motivated by the praise of people, right? He wasn't, like, he wasn't motivated by their approval, and he also wasn't shattered by their rejection. He wasn't just, like, hinged on what they thought. And so I think it begs the question, like, what is it that made Jesus so confident to be able to live out his true self in this way? And Luke actually gives us an inclination if you pay attention to the context of where this all happened. Because right before Jesus started his personal public ministry in the world, Jesus actually went out into the desert. And Luke records it like this. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River where he was baptized, and he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness 
where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. And so see, Jesus, uh, in this moment, he's been fasting. He's been spending these days alone in the wilderness, praying and talking to his heavenly father. Uh, It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had been spending his time listening to God. And I think that's why he was able, just a few moments later, to stay grounded and to stay rooted in who he is and who God called him to be, rather than being motivated by the crowd around him. The same thing is true for us. Right? When we listen to our Heavenly Father, when we know who God made us to be, and as we draw near to him, we can stay more confident in living out our true self rather than being motivated by the people and the influences around us. So let's get back to our cliffhanger. Okay, Jesus is right there, top of the cliff, angry mob in front of them, and they're ready to push him off. But here's what Jesus does in response. It says, but Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Right? They like backed him into the corner, and not only did Jesus go on his way, right? he didn't just like, I'm getting out of here and like take off and never do it again. He went on his way to the next town where he continued his work of teaching and healing people. He was, remember our triangle? He was speaking, and he was acting, and he was knowing, not out of the approval of the people around him, not out of the circumstances surrounding him, but rather he knew himself, and he knew the work he was called to do, and because of that, he wasn't overly impressed with the admiration of people, and he wasn't overly rejected when they turned on him. He was able to just keep moving forward. And in fact, at the very end of his time on earth, here's what Jesus said. Jesus, praying to his heavenly father, was so sure of himself and his calling that he actually told his heavenly father in a prayer, I have brought you, meaning God, the father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And think for a moment about your life. Wouldn't that be incredible if that could be true of you too? That at the end of your life, you could look back and you could tell your heavenly father, hey, I wasn't motivated by what Instagram wanted me to do or by what Pinterest said my kitchen should look like or or by like what my friends were pressuring me into, but I did the work you gave me to do. I took the things that you put in me and I lived them out to the full. That could be true of us. And in fact, that's the very thing that God wants for us. And so as it relates to our relationships, as we're talking about living out your true self, uh, here's what I want to do with just the last few moments that we have together. I want to run through that triangle again and and show you how it's actually the pathway for you to discover your true self and to continue to live out of it uh, in confidence. And, uh, you know, Dutch theologian Henry Nouwen, who's who's an author and a thinker that I really love, Uh, He said it like this. He says, we have to live our life, not someone else's. We have to hold our own cup. And many people can help you live your life. You can help me live my life. But after all is said and done, I have to make my own choices about how to live. And that's true for you as well, right? You ultimately have to decide, uh, are you going to frame your life forever? Or are you going to be willing to be the person your heavenly father created you to be? Well, here's how you can do that. Uh, First, Uh, remember our triangle, like the first thing that you can do is you can know. You can know your true self. You can come to understand the way that God made you and the way that he wired you. To come to understand your thoughts and your feelings and your dreams and your opinions and your values along the way. And uh, I think a lot of us, kind of the cultural script tells us that we should just know, right? Just trust your heart and, and then you'll like find it. But I think the truth of our experience is it actually takes a lot more work to figure out like why am I the way that I am? What do I really love? What are my natural gifts and talents and abilities? You only discover it when you wrestle with it, when you wrestle through it. And remember, that's exactly what Jesus did. He spent that 40 days in the desert 
emptying himself. I mean, it was work for him to fast and to pray and to discover this great clarity around who God called him to be. And I'm not saying like that the pathway forward for you is to go out in the wilderness for 40 days and not eat. Like, please don't do that. They will call me a cult leader if we start doing that. But uh, like what you can do is you can draw near to God every day. Now you can spend that time actually praying and reflecting. You can actually ask God to help you know yourself because I would argue there's nothing God wants to do more than to help you discover the you that he made you to be. You could start praying about it. You could start using resources like I was talking about, the Enneagram or, or Myers-Briggs or some of these personality assessments. You can have conversations with the people around you to learn more about the way that you are. But the point is that knowing your true self starts with knowing and you only know what you're willing to explore and what you're willing to wrestle through. So first, if you want to grow in this area, you've got to know your true self. Uh, the second thing you've got to do is you've got to speak in a certain way. And what I mean by that, uh, you have to like speak your true self. And, and to be clear, I'm not saying you have to speak every opinion that you've ever had, okay? <laughs> like, again, some of us maybe need to dial it back a little bit. But uh, like, uh, that's not what I mean by that. I in fact, don't forget there's moments in Jesus's life where he chose to remain silent rather than to speak. But what I do mean when I say like you need to speak your true self is that you need to be willing to assert yourself in situations that maybe confront against your values, that confront against your sense of self. You need to be willing to speak up, to set the boundary, to not be motivated by the people around you. And to be honest, this is a real challenge in my life because the reality of being a pastor, this isn't like the poor me section of the talk, but the reality is like a lot of people are constantly putting an expectation or, or, or this like image of who I am and what I do on me, right? Like, so if I'm in the grocery store, it's like, hide the beer, right? Like, not me, them, I promise. But like, like if people always put these expectations. And the reality is, I'm going to disappoint some people. I, I, the reality is, I already have disappointed people along the way. And I have to learn to accept that in my role, that actually me living out my calling of being me might not be everybody's cup of tea, right? Like I may disappoint some people along the way. The things that we're called to do as Story Church may not be for everybody to be a part of. And I need to learn to accept that, that some people are gonna reject the thing that I love, that we're creating. And I have to acknowledge even in myself the areas that I still need to grow yet and not let those things keep me from being me, but actually acknowledge like, hey, I'm just on my way. Like I'm working on it. I'm learning what it looks like. And the same is true for you. You need to be willing to speak the truth of who you really are and to stand up for yourself even as you're in process. And then finally, we don't only know who we are, we don't only speak about who we are, but we have to act, right? When we know and we speak our true self, then we can actually start to act and live out that true self. And rather than being obsessed with what everyone else wants us to do or how everyone else wants us to be, you can live out the love that you were called to actually live out. You can serve the people that you've been called to serve. You can use the God-given gifts and talents that you have in the arenas and the environments that God wired you to love until the work that God's given you to do is done. That's the calling on your life. It's to know who you are. It's to be confident enough to speak about who you are and then to act out what God has put in you along the way. And here's what's really cool about this, right? This is a series about relationships and how we love one another. It's that as you discover this, and as you live this out, not only is it good for you, but when two people do this, you can actually help other people live their true self too. You can help other people discover more uh, about who they are and, and how they're wired and how they're meant to be. And so here's the point, okay? This might feel kind of simple and kind of elementary, but it's the stuff that's so hard for us to do if we're honest. But the reality is your relationships in your life will work the best 
when all of the people involved are free to live their true self. And your true self is you as Jesus made you to be. It's found in Jesus along the way. And when each of us learns to know and to speak and to act out of who we really are instead of who we're trying to be or who we're trying to present, then we'll be well on our way to actually living out this way of love. And just really quickly as we wrap up, I want to give you just kind of a picture of what this can look like. And I remember reading this. uh, There's a really big book uh, by a really smart guy called Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York. Uh, But he wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. Again, this isn't just about marriage, but uh, it's a great book just about what marriage is ultimately all about. And and in the context of relationships, here's how uh, Tim writes about this idea of individuals coming together and being their true selves together. He says, within the vision of Christ- the Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making in you and it excites me and I want to be a part of that. And I want to partner with you and God in the journey that you're taking to his throne. And then when we get there, I want to look at you in your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. Isn't that such a compelling vision for relationships? That, that the, the heart of what our relationships to one another would be is helping one another become the true us that God has always wanted us to be. And I love even the acknowledgement that like on this side of this life, we're probably not going to get there. Right? We're going to work at it. We're going to grow at it. But then one day when there's no shame, when there's no active presence of sin distracting us and messing with us when your heart maybe is not so deceitful (laughs) that one day we'll actually see each other as we were meant to be and i love that beautiful image that when we see each other we'll go i knew you could do it right i knew that was in you i knew that was you along the way or maybe to wrap up on the individual level uh, in the 18th century there was this rabbi named rabbi zusa and he famously was noted for saying this He said, in the coming world, right, in the life that's yet to come, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? But they'll ask me, why were you not Zusa? And I think for all of us, that's the question, right? Like this world doesn't need you to be somebody else. God put you in this world to be you. And I think at the end of your life, in the life yet to come, God may ask, hey, why weren't you you? Because that's who I made you to be. Right? Why, why didn't you lean into what I put in you? And I think the call and the challenge for all of us is to know and to say and to act out of what God has put in us. And when we do that, we'll discover that our relationships actually work in the way that God designed them to. So let me pray for you. God, uh, this again seems simple, but we want it to be true of our lives that we would be honest about who you made us to be, that we would be brave enough to be honest about all of the stuff you put in us, the interests, the passions, the, uh, the dreams and the desires, just all of it, God. Help us to be open to it, to not be ashamed of who we are or how you made us to be, uh, but God, that we could actually discover our true self and help one another live it out. In any relational context, whether it's at work or in a marriage or with friendships or with our neighbors, God, help us to be people who draw out the best in one another because the best is what you put in us. Help us to live more of our true selves together uh, so that one day when we're in your presence fully, we could see one another and say, I knew that you could be like that. I knew that's who you were becoming as you walked this earth. 
So God, lead us in that way. Help us to know what to do with what we've heard and then to have the courage to do it. And we pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.